Well, hey everyone, uh, welcome out. Thanks for being here. And uh, if you're watching online, uh, thank you for tuning in. Or if you're over at Montrose, um, it's good that you guys are together and uh, miss my friends over there. Um, yeah, I would really encourage you just to uh, participate in the Hope Project coming up this season. I know uh, this is something we do every year, and Christmas happens every year. Uh, but this is uh, an incredible way for us as the church to do something together, kind of like a unified effort to um, be generous and to bring hope and uh, to kind of let God work through us in a new way um, again this year. And so I encourage you to, to take that sticker home, put it somewhere, uh, and uh, scroll through uh, some of those different things that you can begin to say, okay, Lord, what is it you're leading uh, me to or us to, your family, your group, uh, your roommates? Uh, incredible way uh, to just uh, be used in a different way this season. Uh, we are in a series uh, that we're finishing up this weekend uh, called why Can't We All Be Right? And um, this is uh, more than just uh, one series. Actually, um, we've been talking about uh, this one section in the Bible uh, for the last six months. <laughs> and so uh, we've had several different conversations as we've gone through this. But uh, what we find in uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is uh, a moment with Jesus where he, he just teaches, <laughs> probably for about an hour and a half, two hours. And... Um, what, we get kind of a glimpse into what it was like to hear Jesus speak, right? And um, here we're at the end of it. And so uh, I would encourage you, maybe if you've missed some of this series, uh, this, this is a part of one conversation, but this is also a part of a really big conversation. So you don't have to like go catch up all this week or feel uh, bad about that if you haven't been a part of this conversation. Um, I think that there's a lot here tonight. There's a lot here uh, with what Jesus says at the end that brings so much together. So if you have been tracking through it, I think some things are going to make sense. And if it's your first time, or you're, this is kind of a new conversation for you, um, I think that some of this will hit home as well. And so uh, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 7. We're here at the end of, of this, uh, this Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. And so uh, you can open there in the app. Uh, we'll have it up here on the screen. Um, or if you, you brought a Bible this weekend, if you don't uh, have a physical copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one. Uh, we actually have some out in our uh, lobby, so our First Impressions team is out there. And uh, if you just say, hey, uh, I was hoping I could get um, a physical copy of the Bible to take home with me, we would love to just give that to you as our gift uh, uh, this weekend. And so uh, as we get into this Matthew 7, here we are at the end of Jesus' conversation, his sermon, and this is what he says. Oh, you guys want to see what we're going to cover today? <laughs> uh, first, we're going to talk about why Jesus is worth following. Um, and we're going to actually unpack this with the last thing, kind of how the crowd reacts to Jesus. The second thing we're going to talk through is uh, how to make sure your house won't collapse. I know, very practical this weekend. You're going to take a lot away from that. And then we're going to cover four deep questions, and I'll explain what I mean by deep. Um, but I hope that you can kind of think on these throughout the week. So here we are, Matthew 7. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. They're like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And then to kind of sum the whole thing up, the crowd's response to him says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike 
their teachers of religious law. And so uh, that's the reaction to like kind of their last uh, hour, two hours with him. And um, I think there's a lot here that we have to begin to understand that explains why Jesus is worth following. Uh, The first thing that we see is that he taught with a real authority. Something about Jesus was different. Um, And it became very clear, not just in this moment where Jesus is talking, but throughout his entire life, that Jesus uh, thought of himself very differently than than how we would have uh, maybe initially seen him or how we would even think of ourselves. And uh, as Jesus is teaching about uh, these things in 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 these three chapters, there's a lot there that shows um, more is happening than just like him commenting on the conversations of the day like what their Bible said. He wasn't just like, hey, here's some of my opinions. Uh, This is just my perspective. Take it or leave it. Um, He brought a total different um, place of speaking. He spoke from a place of intimate knowledge and uh, even power about who God was and about who we are as human beings and to the very soul level and, and a perspective about the world that carried a whole different tone about how God's love and goodness could become a reality in our world, how that could be saturated through every part of the world as God wants and intends for that to happen. He brought that with a different level of authority. He wasn't just bringing opinion. He wasn't just commenting on the scriptures. The claims that he was making and the intimate knowledge that we had know, kind of at the end of the story, we know they came because he was God. Jesus is God. He claims that. He proves it through his death and resurrection. And here in this moment when he's teaching, he's operating out of that authority. And it's not just that. It's not like I'm the boss, so listen to me. He's also teaching them. So he's trying to help them. Like God came to earth and wants to interact with human beings who don't understand him, who aren't making their world a place of love and goodness, especially God's definition of love and goodness, who don't understand the depths of their heart and their soul, and he teaches them. I think that the measure of a good teacher isn't just like how much they teach or, uh, you know, how long they teach what they know, but it's if what they're teaching is actually practical to the people listening. And what Jesus taught was immensely practical. He was an expert. (laughs) He he knew everything there was to know about God and about life and about you and about me and our world and money and work and relationships and sexuality. All of that. Like He's like, I'm the expert of it all because I'm the designer of it all. And so when he teaches, he's not just speaking from a place of expertise. He's wanting to help. He cares about those listening to him. And Jesus meant what he was saying. And they pick up on him. They're amazed. Like, this is a sermon they heard for an hour and they didn't fall asleep during it. Could you imagine, like, going to church and not falling to sleep for, like, a whole hour? I mean, this is a good message. And it's because it hit at the heart level. He knew what he was talking about. It was something they had to keep thinking about because it wasn't irrelevant. It, it, it had to be heard and done something with it. It had to be wrestled through. And that's what he says is he expected them to do or to put into practice what it was that he taught because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Now, why is Jesus worth following? 
I wrote down that Jesus is worth following because he is God and he fully understands our lives. Our series is like, why can't we all be right? I think this answers some of that question. The reason that we can't be all right is because uh, all of us can't be right is because Jesus is on a totally different level. <laughs> like me and you offering our opinions about like how money works or like what this means or like how that relationship should flourish is way different than Jesus. He's in a totally different category because he is God and because he is an expert on everything involved in our lives. And he's not just adding a voice to the many voices and many alternatives that we can listen to. He is always right. <laughs> he is the only one who is entirely right and entirely good, entirely informed and aware and true. But what's interesting about that is, it, is if we're accepting Jesus on his terms, you go and listen to what he's teaching, and, and, a, and a reaction I often get as people read this, right, like, don't worry. You're like, good luck with that. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, love your enemies. And you're like, really? Like, how am I going to do that? Um, and um, all these different practical teachings, what you start to wrestle with is, man, do I actually believe I can do what Jesus said? Is what he's saying impossible to live by? Then, then why is he teaching this? And maybe if we do want to follow him, we start to justify it by saying, well, he knew what it meant for them back then, 2,000 years ago. For an ancient person, maybe this worked. But for me, in my life today in 2022, I don't know how this fits. I don't know if this can work. I don't know if I can trust this, if like applying this and doing this is going to be good for me. And so we kind of accept what Jesus is saying with a little bit of hesitance because it's so radical. It's so different, and maybe we can justify it by saying it's ancient, it's something uh, that, you know, was written 2,000 years ago, but it's something that's so timeless and preserved that actually it does affect my life today, and it's worth me wrestling through, and it is relevant. Whether we honestly land at a place where we're not sure if we, if we can do this, if, if Jesus is trustworthy in this, we certainly can't say that we're going to follow him without at least wrestling through what does it mean to put these things into practice. But I think that Jesus is worth following because he's claiming a different kind of authority than any of us could claim today or anyone throughout history. He knows how the universe runs. <laughs> and he wants to help us. He's here acting on behalf of our good. And, and maybe you like wrestle with this and you're like, man, this is hitting me on so many levels because I know that my life is not going the way I want it to go. Life is not working. And so if there is someone out there who offers that hope, who really gets you, who really understands what will make a life that lasts, that, that aligns with the way that you experience the goodness and love that God wants to give you, and you can begin to experience that, maybe he's worth following. I think there's another group of us who are like, my life is actually like pretty fine. <laughs> like a uh, house hasn't fallen down. Um, and so we're still left kind of wondering like, well, what does this mean for me? And, and Jesus always leaves us in this place of kind of personal reflection. Like, well, <laughs> did I build on the rock or the sand? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Where am I at? 
And, and I think uh, this is going to be so helpful for us today is because no matter whether you're ready to build a house that Jesus co-labors with you in, or whether you're like, I'm just really not sure what's underneath there, Jesus wants to meet you in that space. And that's where we get the story of these two houses. Let's, like, let's look at them again. And so he says uh, this. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. They're like a person who builds their house on that solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. And the contrast is that anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, who doesn't put it into practice, is foolish. They're like a person who builds a house on the sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, there's a lot of contrasting, comparing going on right here. And first of all, it's just with these two houses, right? And in some ways, you're supposed to hear like these are the same thing. They're houses, right? Um, and he's comparing them. Two similar-looking structures, right? But what's different about them is their foundations. The foundation is different. And, and he describes this difference between the sand and the rock. And what you would maybe initially think at first is that these houses are in two different places, right? Like some dude built his beach home, and it's like, yep, that's the house that's going to crash because it's at the beach, <laughs> and this house built up on the mountain. But actually what we kind of begin to understand, even just from the landscape of the day where Jesus was speaking, is that the sand in the soil was likely probably just like the surface. And to build a house on the rock actually meant to do more work by digging deeper beneath that initial sand and that initial soil to get to a place that is sturdy, that is strong. Of course, it requires more work, maybe even more knowledge that you would need to do that if you'd never built a house before. <laughs> you don't know that building on, on the sand and on the soil is bad. Um, but he's comparing that here, that there's a difference in the depth by which these builders have built their home. And one is trustworthy and one is not. The other thing is that this same storm comes, right? They both experience the floods and the wind and the water that's, you know, wrecking the house, trying to, trying to bring it down. And again, they get two different outcomes. The house that is built on the rock stands. And the one that is built on that shallow sand and that soil level collapses with a mighty crash. What's interesting, like, is if you drive around your neighborhood, right, you probably don't see the foundations of those homes, right? Like, you just, like, are driving around, you see kind of what's on the outside, you see the first or second level, and the foundation is, it kind of remains hidden, right? You don't really know what's beneath the surface. And I think that's a little bit of, as Jesus compares this with our lives, you've got to kind of settle into a place where you say, These are, this is the most innermost part of your life that probably no one else really even sees, until something reveals the integrity of it, right? Until something puts it to the test that shows, does this house stand or does it collapse? It remains hidden from those around us. It, it can kind of uh, be unseen by others. And that's why it should cause us the question, just because my life is good now doesn't mean I've built my life on the rock. That could just mean Nothing has tested this foundation yet. 
And so uh, even as we're thinking about that, I, w- I was thinking like just when you go to buy a home, right? So you like got things on your list, right? You get on Zillow because you hate living in the house you're in and you're like, this is all the things I want in a house and I can afford this. And then uh, you're like, okay, I guess I can't get everything and I, I want in a house. And so you start settling, right? Like this many bedrooms, this many bathrooms and like this layout would be great and in this area and you start to kind of hit all the dials and uh, then you go visit the house, right? This is how it was for us. We moved here seven years ago and we, we uh, rented for a year, and we had a baby, and I was like, I cannot stand how little space we have. Um, so I was like, we have to find a house, even if it's just a little bit bigger. And so we got on Zillow, and we turned all the dials, and we're like, this is what we can afford, and hopefully we can have an extra bedroom. And um, I remember we, we found this house right across the street from us. So we lived like on one side of South Hawkins, and then like on the other side of South Hawkins was this house. And I was like, let's just walk over there and look at it. And so we're like, oh, man, this this would be great. It's a great location. (laughs) We've already lived here for a year. And um, we got a realtor, and we started looking through the house, and we're like, oh, it's been updated, and probably someone flipped it. And uh, you start all the things that you like about the house, right? In your first walkthrough, you're like, this is great. No, we could change that. And it kind of fits what you're expecting. And I remember telling our families, like, we found this house that we're going to buy. And uh, they were like, well, was it the first house you looked at? And I was like, yeah, what's wrong with that? They were like, Go look at some other houses, because you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. Like, I've never bought a house before. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so we found some other options. And I remember, as we looked at those houses, um, I started to begin to develop a sense of, like, what would be better, right? What, what would be worse? As we kind of, like, started to walk around the house, not just comparing, like, the layout and the price, but then you, like, go to the basement, and you're like, this basement's nasty. <laughs> you're like, something like died down here, or like, like it's you know, molding, or like there's no lights. You're like, I would love lights in the basement. Um, <laughs> and so you start to appreciate things that you don't even look at it at an initial glance. And it started to make us go back to this first home. Um, we realized like there's a sump pump in the basement. Who would have ever cared about a sump pump uh, until like, it rains like crazy, or there's like a tornado warning in Northeast Ohio, which happens. And so I remember like kind of as I, I looked around bolstering the like what, why I thought that that was a good house to buy, and it was about things I would have never looked at initially. And then what happens when you buy a house is an inspector comes in, right? <laughs> Someone who's an expert who like could give a rip what the colors of the walls are, or like that there's granite countertops. They're like, we don't care. <laughs> like, we're going to look in your attic. We're like, there's an attic here? And it's like, we're going we're gonna to look at all these wires. And like, I didn't even know there were wires in my house. They're like, that's right, you have walls. And they're behind the, uh, the, the, the walls. And the, the inspector is that expert. They look all the places that you don't initially look because they want you to buy a house that will last, that you don't get a year into and you realize the basement floods all the time and they just covered it up really well. And that's a little bit of what Jesus is like in this, this story he's using. He, he's the expert, right? He's God, his teaching is practical, he knows everything not just about ancient life but about your life. He fully understands more of it than anyone else, including yourself. And so a little bit of, of what this looks like is saying, okay, what was Jesus asking me to do in response to him? And so we see, like, what keeps the house from collapsing? And so he says it's building it on this solid rock, and, and you'll be wise. What it means to be wise 
is to build a house that withstands or a life that lasts, right? It's, it's what works. As you look at wisdom throughout the Bible, what you see is that like God's continually trying to offer like this is the way life works. This is how like human beings can flourish with one another. So like put this into practice. Handle money this way. Handle relationships this way. Handle your sexuality this way. And, and as you engage the wisdom of the Bible and engage the wisdom of God, you begin to see like this stuff actually works. It may not be what everyone else is doing or it may just be like someone else picked up on it. It's like, yeah, that is how money works. But it can also be very countercultural. As you begin to adopt God's mindset, his economy, how he sees the world, his wisdom begins to look a little different and so it may not be conventional. It may be different than what you expect. And so that's what he's describing when he says you're a wise person if you build your house on the rock. What's the rock? He simply says it's hearing and doing what, he taught, what he's taught. The, the person who's unwise and who builds their life on the sand hears what Jesus is saying and is like, no thanks. I'll do it my own way. I can figure out how to build a house. I can figure out how to go through life. But the person who is wise the one who wants to build a house that withstands, a life that endures, who wants to see human flourishing happen, human flourishing happen not just with everyone in the house, but the people around that house, the neighborhood. That person hears what Jesus is teaching and does it. And so um, this is what Jesus has done throughout the whole process when he's been talking, is he's been teaching them, and he's, saying, he's inviting them to come be with him, to hear him teach to allow him to change their hearts and minds and for them to actually do what he says. That's the foundation, foundation that's dug deeper than just the initial surface life that's built on the sand, whether that's my own perspective or I'm just not willing to do all the work or engage Jesus in that process of building my life. Now, I think the question you ask from that is, well, what did Jesus teach? <laughs> so if I, I like want that, I'm bought in, uh, I believe he's God, and that he gets my life better than anyone else, and he says I'm supposed to do what he taught, what did he teach? <laughs> Welcome to the last six months of what we've been doing here, <laughs> and like Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so in one sense, um, you should go read that again. You should read that differently now. You should be willing to embrace the difficulty of it and not categorize it into the impossible or the uninformed. But what I would love to do for us today, those four deep questions, is I would love to just kind of give you a summary of it, not just in the content of it, but in what the listeners that Jesus would have been speaking to, what questions they would have asked themselves when they walked away from his teaching. If someone was serious, if someone heard what he was teaching and they wanted to do it, what questions would they wrestle through? And I think there's four that are worth looking at that cover the entire sermon, the, the, this entire last six months. And I want you to imagine, if, if you're up for that, <laughs> that you're inviting Jesus into your house, the house of your life. And you let him in not just to show him, you know, uh, the living room and look how great my kitchen is. You invite him into the basement, right? Where like no one goes. You don't throw a party in the basement. And you're like, Jesus, you're the expert tell me what you see. And I want you to think of these four questions as almost like the four walls of your basement, and I want you to give Jesus a chance to speak into them. 
to, to hear him out. And you get to decide, am I going to do what he, he's uh, calling me to do, or, or am I still going to need to wrestle through this? And it's probably a little of both. Um, but that's kind of how I want you to imagine this process. We're inviting Jesus into the home of our lives, and we're inviting him to the parts of it that no one else here knows about, no one else in my life maybe even knows about, but Jesus is an expert on, and he believes they're worth evaluating uh, to see a life that's been lived wisely, a house that stands. And so the first part of his uh, message, I, I asked this question, is about identity. What defines who I am? So when Jesus starts teaching, uh, he starts by uh, talking about several different kinds of people. And he says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who hunger for justice and righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are persecuted for um, doing, you know, good deeds in God's name. Like, it's um, this portrait of kind of these, these different categories of the kind of people who have a blessed life. They, they get everything out of life that they're supposed to get. God meets them in the midst of that. But what's weird is about the, the kind of people that Jesus identifies are the kind of people that most often are um, left on the margins or either we feel bad for them. The people who mourn, the people who've gone through loss, Right? The people who are poor in spirit, the desperate, needy people. The people who are persecuted. The people who are peacemakers, you know. They can't win their own fights, so they're peacemakers. They include everyone. The people who are humble, who really can't make it anywhere in life, so they're just content with what they have. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to change the entire value system. I'm going to redefine everything by what it means to actually be blessed. What it means to for me to find worth and value in our world, and what it means for me to bless you. So yes, the desperate people are blessed because they realize they need me. Yes, the peacemakers are blessed because they bring more people into the family than those who they kick out. Yes, those who mourn are blessed because they realize that I'm a comforter and they don't just go through life riding some kind of high that, does, that isn't real. Yes, the people who are persecuted are blessed because they realize that they have everything they need in me. Yes, the, the people who have nothing and who are humble do find that I'm enough. He redefines who we are. It's not our income, it's not our education, it's not where we live or our personality, it's not what we drive, it's not who we know and how we relate to them and what people think of us. He says, I get to define who you are. And we know that this is an identity statement because after he talks through what the blessed life actually looks like, he says, you are salt and you are light. <laughs> now you've heard this, you're salt and light. That you are the, the substance, uh, the, the incarnation of God, the thing that people get to experience. They can taste, they can see God's goodness through you. And it's not that you go out there and be salt and light, go do a bunch of good stuff. It's saying that even people like this, and especially when God meets them in that, that is salt and that is light. That is something that tastes totally different. That is something that looks totally different and it looks way more like who God is than what everyone else is portraying. It's an identity statement. And so when Jesus looks at this first wall in your house, he starts to look and say, this looks a little shallow. 
This looks like something that's built way more on something that can be taken away. Your career, your marriage, your status, your relationships. The storm's going to come. Life will happen. And if that's all that that wall is built on, it's going to cave in. But I want to give you something that's not earned, something that's given. You are salt and life. You are blessed because of what I'm doing through you, not what you've done for yourself. The next part of his message gets us into another category, and the second question I would ask us is about integrity. Is my heart what God calls healthy? And so Jesus was talking about um, their Jewish law, how they understood what it meant to worship God and how to relate to each other. And so um, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. So he's like, I'm not here to just like rewrite the book. He's like, I'm here to help you understand what it actually means. And so he, he does this five times. Um, he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. <laughs> and then he says, but I tell you that if you've hated someone in your own heart, it's murder. And he does this, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And he begins to press into them uh, more than just their religious checklist. He begins to actually raise the bar by saying it's actually not just about adultery, it's about the lust in your heart. It's actually not just about your sexuality, it's about covenant faithfulness. It's actually not just about lying, it's about um, you having integrity. It's not just about turning the other cheek, it's not just about you um, doing what people ask of you, it's also about being a presence of peacemaking. It's not just about loving your friends and hating your enemies, it's about loving your enemies. He does all this challenging heart-level work that probably most of it no one ever sees. No one ever sees your lust. No one ever sees your hatred toward your enemy. No one ever sees the unfaithfulness of your own heart. But when the expert, uh, you know, inspector and builder and contractor comes in, right, and he looks, he says, hey, I know that this wall's standing right now, like, none of the big things have happened, and maybe they have, but how much water are you okay, like, leaking into your basement? <laughs> how many cracks are okay here? <laughs> because what he's saying the standard is, is I don't want this wall to fall down, <laughs> And it's more than just saying, like, yep, passes inspection. It's like, no, 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 like, uh, there, there's some things here. And I, I want you to see them the way I see them, because I see your heart. I want you to allow me to define what's good. I want you to let me define what's true. I don't want just your story or your feelings or your desires or what's comfortable to you to, for you to define what's true and good. I want you to allow me to define what's healthy. So that is the, the kind of the second wall that he looks at. He, he looks very deeply at the heart. The, the third place he goes is a little bit into kind of our understanding of how we relate to God, and it's about intimacy. And so the question you kind of ask yourself after hearing this section is, do I want God or just what he can give me? And so what you see Jesus talk about is he talks about things like prayer and fasting and being generous. 
And kind of like all these, these big spiritual practices of the day, right? Prayer, fasting, generosity. And he starts to say that there's a way people can go about it where they do it for uh, the attention. They do it for how they will be seen by others. They do it also so that they might get something from God. That it might be like a formula that like if I fast enough, if I'm generous enough, if I pray enough, it'll get God to do something for me. And Jesus is challenging that, and the way he challenges it by saying that you have a heavenly Father who is in secret. You have a heavenly Father who's in secret. That actually it's way less about your public life and way more about your private life with him. That, that these spiritual practices aren't means to be seen or to get God to do something, but they're means to grace. They're means to greater intimacy and connection with God. And this, this is the purpose of any spiritual practice, like coming to church or being in community or reading your Bible or taking a Sabbath. Like all of those spiritual practices are meant to shape something in you. They're meant for you to draw close to God, not to get him to work on your behalf. Not so that you can keep up with the others around you who are doing all these spiritual things. The purpose behind prayer is to hear God, to talk with him. The purpose behind fasting is to admit your need for him, your dependency on him. The point of being generous is to believe that God has been abundantly good to you and then to, through your generosity, allow others to see that God is abundantly good to them as well. The point of Sabbath is to rest. The point of um, reading the scriptures, reading your Bible, is to know what God says is true, to have wisdom. The point of coming to gather together at, at church is to worship God. The point of being in community is to, ele- to let other people speak into your life, to speak truth with love. That's what these spiritual practices do. They are not means to say, like, are you checking off the list Um, Are you doing good enough, and is God going to work in your favor? It's more than just wanting religion or spirituality or peace or discipline. It's not about the thing you get on the other end of it, unless that thing that you're looking for is God himself. And so it's about intimacy. It's about your father who is in secret, loves to meet with you in that place that no one else sees. He looks at that third wall, and he says... This wall is going to implode if you start measuring if what I'm doing in your life is based upon what you're doing for me. This, this wall is going to implode if you're always comparing yourself with the spirituality and the peace and the discipline of others around you. But what would make this deep and what would make this sturdy is if you did these disciplines, these practices, these really challenging things that are so unsettling for the heart and you just let them be ways to meet with me and you did them not to earn anything or to prove anything but to be with me the last place that jesus goes in his message this fourth foundation question has everything to do with inclination which is a fourth eye so you're so impressed you're like this is great i'm taking this home this weekend um (laughs) i What I mean is like the way that you view the world. How am I inclined to see the world around me? And in that worldview, primarily do I trust God or myself more? What Jesus starts off teaching in this section is he says, if you seek first God's kingdom, everything else will be added to you. 
He starts by saying, the most important thing in life is what you believe about God. If he is good, if he is trustworthy, if he's present, if he's powerful, if he is enough for you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Ask him, seek him, knock, and your good father will provide. And so then he challenges it by saying, store up heavenly treasures. You know, you can't love God and money. So store up what really matters. And you're like, money's pretty important. Like, that's what pays the bills. <laughs> that's what buys the food. Uh, he says, don't worry about tomorrow because um, look at those birds over there. They have everything they need to eat. And look at the lilies over there. Look at those flowers. They're, they're so beautiful. They're dressed better than anyone else. And you're like, Jesus, I am not a bird and I am not a flower. <laughs> like, I am worried about everything tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be terrible. Like, do you know I have to get this deadline done and this might not go right? And, you know, the, the list of what tomorrow we could possibly worry about is so long. He says, don't judge others. Don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye. <laughs> Don't compare yourself to everyone all the time. Don't worry about how they're getting life wrong. He's saying, invite me to speak into your life and the ways that you don't see clearly. Let God be God. Let him be judge. Let him be good. Let him be the provider. And yes, we, we all have to make money. We all have things to worry about tomorrow. We have all sorts of micro injustices that happen in our relationships that we can so easily see and hold on to but who do I trust more? Will I actually seek first the kingdom of God? And what does that even mean? It's where I begin to release worry and control. It's where I begin to release people and how they have hurt me. It's where I begin to release money and what it can and can't do for me. And to believe that God is what I'm inclined to see most in my world that he will provide, he does care for me, that he is good and powerful and he is the most real thing in my life, more than people or money or stress or what I need to get done. So will I believe that like my resources and my control and my hustle, is that what's going to give me enough or is it God? These are, uh, these are not easy questions to ask ourselves, are they, Right? That's why to hear what Jesus is teaching and to be like, that was nice. He was like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, this is hard. This isn't just something that rolls off us. This is something that we wrestle through. If we truly let him into the foundation of our lives, what does he actually see? Does he see lives where we've defined ourselves and we've defined being blessed and success and worth and categories that God isn't interested in defining them as? Have we defined our relationships and our hearts? Have we defined the health of those things at a bar that's so low? Have we defined intimacy with God as doing things for him instead of being with him? And have we defined the way we view our world what it actually takes to build a life that lasts. Do we trust God in that or do we trust ourselves? And this is why he says, if you listen to me, if you hear what I'm saying and put it into practice, you'll be like the wise man. The house will stand. 
And if you don't, those walls will eventually cave in. This is all an invitation from him because he loves you and he wants to help you. You can build the house either way. But he's saying, if you'll invite me to be a part of that process, in Psalm 127 it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. You, you invite Jesus in that because he's good and he wants to help you and he wants to restore you. He's not just the one who's teaching you about what it should look like. He's the one who's restoring you into what it should actually be. Do you believe this? Because what Jesus does is he doesn't, doesn't inspect your house and then you're like, man, my life's a mess. He's like, by the way, I want to move in. You're like, this is getting weird. <laughs> he wants to move in. He's like, I don't want the house to fall here either because I want to do all of life with you. I, I, I don't just want all of your life to control it. I want, to, I want all of your life because I want to be here in all of life. This is a, a God who loves you, who has come to earth for you through the person of Jesus, through his own son. He put skin on and he didn't just condemn you. He came to actually help you and say, this is how you can invite me in. Would you let me do that? Would you not just hear what I say, but would you think about it in a way that you allow it to affect you, to change you? Would you do it? I encourage you this week, um, if this is something that's really causing you to think, to read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 again. And read through it with those questions in mind. To get alone and be honest, like, okay, God, you know, get up one uh, day this week early and just ask those questions. What do you see, Lord? I want to invite you in. I want to invite the band out, and if that's where you're at today, I would, I would like to offer you just even a, a prayer to pray to yourself. So if you mind just closing your eyes as they come out and get things settled. If this is what you want to invite Jesus into, just pray this to yourself. Jesus, I invite you to please come into my life and rescue me from the things I don't see, from the things I don't know, and the things that may cause disaster. I believe you have the wisdom and the authority to look at my life, to speak into it, and to know what you're talking about. I want not only to hear what you say, but also practice what you are saying. Jesus, you are worth following. Father, I pray that wherever that prayer is being prayed right now, in those hearts, Lord, that you would enter in and they would see you not as destructive and judgmental and harming, but they would see you as gentle and wise and good. For all the ways this feels invasive and unsafe to us, Lord, would you put our hearts at rest? Help us not to be afraid to let you in. It doesn't matter whether it's the first time or the 500th time, God, we want you to show us 
where you're leading us. We want what you're offering, Jesus. I pray that you would continue to be our guide and we would see how you're working and we would trust your goodness. I pray this in Jesus' name.